I didn't have a voice at all Thursday morning. And one of the Dutch producers said to me, oh, you know what uh, all the opera singers do is they gargle with Coca-Cola. Really? And so I gargled with Coca-Cola and sure enough, my voice came straight back. Do other fizzy drinks also work? No, I don't think so. <laughs> just full fat Coke. Gin and maybe a bit of rum. Hey, and Pinks, before we go any further with this pod, can you just go and gargle some more? Yeah, no, I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was dreamy for my husband, but um, it's quite tricky not having a voice when you're a broadcaster. What did you do on the weekend, Tom? It's all a bit of a blur, if I'm honest. I can barely remember. All I do think is I got out of Silverstone on Sunday night without stopping once. Unbelievable feat by Silverstone. 140,000 people didn't even have to stop leaving the track. That's never happened before. What time did you leave? <laughs> Two in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was leaving in quite helicopter. late. But, uh, I was leaving at about half eight. Wow. Straight out. Hey, DH, Heidi, hi. Heidi, hi. Was, yeah. How was the camping? It's quite nice, actually. But I mean, it was a bit more crowded. See this? Can I do my Heidi, hi impression? Yeah, go on, go what? on. Hello, campers. <laughs> And in fact, the gravelly voice helps that. Can you just do it once more? That Hello, was campers. Is that all you can say, though? Is that, is there anything yeah, that's, that's all I've got. That's all I've got. Well, amazing. Hey, but Damon, how was it, though? Was, was the campsite noisy? Did you have no- well, Who was your neighbour? In the previous time, we didn't have any fans, you remember? So it, we were, it was a really sleepy campsite. We had um, very tired racing drivers who never came out of their motorhomes. Um, I think I saw Lewis once coming out to hang up some undies to dry or something. And, and other than that, we never saw anyone. <laughs> this year... I was right next door to the BRDC disco, I think. Oh, no. Uh, nothing separating me but a kind of mesh fence. And then there was some other thing going on in the in the main central uh, stage, which, uh, you know, when they go up and it starts to go like that at about two in the morning. That's what I went to sleep to. I couldn't stay up any longer, but I did. It was, I find that quite relaxing, actually. You do that again. Come on, everybody. Like that. <laughs> so it wasn't quite as quiet and peaceful as last year, but everyone seemed to be having a great time. Well, that was the thing, wasn't it? Everybody had a great time. All 356,000 people had a great time. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Can, can I put it out there? That was the best British Grand Prix weekend I've ever had. And I've done 25 of them. I, I've, I've said the same, Tom. I thought that was the best event to get everyone going, all the things in place that you want from a Grand Prix. I've never seen so many fans. The banks in the veil, you know, of people, that was packed all the way through. Every grandstand was packed and they got an absolute humdinger of a weekend. Guys, we're so rubbish at doing the furniture for this podcast. We haven't actually done the official opening. And we're, oh, I just we're... thought we were having a chat, generally. This is the podcast. Have we started yeah. yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Pinkle, it's great to have you back. You weren't Thank with us last you. week. Can you do the, you know, welcome everybody and do the thing? Hello, welcome to F1 Nation with me, Natalie Pinkham, Mr. Damon Hill and Mr. Tom Clarkson. Can I say something else about the fans? I felt an immense sense of pride that there are just no fights. And I know that might sound like, well, of course there were no fights. But when you compare that to Wembley, I just feel that your average motorsport fan, just a bloody good egg. They're all very merry. There wasn't any edge to the atmosphere. And I love that. And I love the fact that you can have a Max Verstappen fan, you could have a McLaren fan, you could have a Ferrari fan. and. That's part of the sport. You, you know, it's, it's not sort of tribal in the same way, is it? 
and, 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 and four people in the same family will support different people and have a good old chat about it afterwards. Oh, and Pinks, they would have had a good old chat after the race. Unbelievable. There might not have been any fights at the track. There might have been some. <laughs> back yeah. when they got back home, if they got Max Verstappen. Silent car journey. Oh, we weren't, we weren't <laughs> going to talk about that, were we? The incident. I think we probably do have to talk about that. Oh. Into Cop's corner. These are critical corners for this Grand Prix. Hamilton's going to try again this time on the inside. A continent touch. Verstappen is out of the race, and that's a big crash into Cop's for the second time this season. It is ending in dramatic consequences for the championship leader. First of all, can we start with the start? Those first moves, that wheel-to-wheel action was just breathtaking, wasn't it? It was brilliant. Yeah, the Wellington straight, that run when they were so close. I think their, their wheels were actually, you know, if they weren't touching, they were rubbing Pirelli stickers off. It was so close. It reminded me of Senna and Mansell at Barcelona back in 1991. And you're just thinking, crikey, how's that going to end? And they kept it clean through Brooklands. We could almost commentate around the lap, couldn't we? Damon, over to you. What happened after they went through Brooklands? And was it inevitable what then happened at Cops? I think it was inevitable at some point there was going to be some coming together of the two. But it was so aggressive. I've never seen Lewis drive that, that aggressively. I'm racking my brains. I mean, to think of a time when it was, uh, when he was, uh, the only thing I can come up with is the Barcelona with, uh, when it was with Nico Rosberg. Rosberg. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it was full on attack mode. And I, and I do wonder whether it was something to do with what had happened the previous day in the sprint when he sort of lost pole position. Absolutely. And he knew that it was all about the start. He knew that that was his big chance mm. in front of the fans and how crucial to win that race yesterday absolutely needed it, that swing of momentum to come back to the Mercedes garage. I don't think it was just the sprint quality either. I think it, you can go back to Imola, turn one at Imola, when Max was really aggressive and put him over the curbs and Lewis had to get out of it to avoid yeah, I, contact. I and you go to, no. Same thing happened at Barcelona. The same thing happened at the restart in Portimao. And I just think it's been bubbling away. And actually, one of the guys at Merck, not going to uh, name him because he, he wouldn't appreciate it, but he said Lewis had said... After the Imola incident, I'm not going to let him do that again. Yeah, but look, honestly, I saw I saw Lewis get, trying to go around the outside at Turn One at Imola, and it was wet. He was never going to get away with that, you know. You know, it's all these guys have got a perspective. You know, they presume that they should, the other driver should should give way. They they kind of have this attitude, which is, well, he has to give way because because I'm better than he is. <laughs> and it's like it's never going to. You got two people who think like that. You're never going to get them to go around a corner together and actually Lewis was very lucky he didn't damage his front wing and lose it get a puncture and all the rest of it on top of his 10 second penalty which is something that has been contentious and I have had more calls and contact with my racing friends and friends of mine who've got an opinion on this and I cannot find it's 50 50 either side at the moment there's not one person it's no it's not a clear answer whether it was Lewis should have got the penalty or Max should have got the penalty I think we're both incredibly uncompromising and when you put two very, very uncompromising people into a 180 mile an hour corner, uh, something's going to happen. And it did. And Max had made a little bit of a mistake coming out of the previous corner at Luffield. He'd run a little bit wide. That had allowed Lewis to get a bit of a run on him. Lewis pulled the dummy. Lovely move. That's such a Silverstone thing, isn't it? The dummy. 
And yeah, they were alongside. There is photo evidence that they were alongside. Neither was going to back down. And as you say, Damon, boom. And it's just unfortunate it happened at 180 miles an hour and not a second gear corner in terms of the damage. But inevitable. So for me, a racing accident. Well, what does that mean? Whatever that means. Well, well, I mean, yeah. no, but I mean, is this is this contact sport? I mean, I think the the question I've been asking because we had the similar situation with Lando and Checo in Austria, and I, I think that you know the question was put whether or not uh, Michael Massey is trying to introduce a new set of ways of looking at it, which is that you, you you're supposed not to make contact. You're supposed to always give room if you've got a guy on the outside. Would the racing be better if Max had thought, oh, I better not collide with, with Lewis because I would get a um, 10 grid penalty in the next race or something like that. He might have given way. But I mean, it's sometimes it's argued that the penalty never enters the head of the person committing the offence. If it was an offence, you know, it's because the state of mind of the person racing is not, you don't think about the consequences. Damon, it's not as cut and shut as, as a a line call at Wimbledon, is it? It's so subjective in terms of what's going on in the, the minds of the two people involved. There's so much at stake. Had Max ended lap one in the lead, I think he would have disappeared. Lewis had to get it done there. That was his last opportunity to get it done. And he knew that. There yeah. was so much at stake. You know, what I found quite interesting is when you heard the radio messages of Toto, Christian, Jonathan Wheatley, Ron Meadows all going through to Michael Massey. And it was like barristers approaching the bench, wasn't it? Michael, have you got a minute? Hello. Yeah, Michael, look, that corner, he was never anywhere near alongside. Every driver that's driven at this circuit knows you do not stick a wheel up the inside of cops. You know, that's an enormous accident. And it was 100% Max's corner. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, full blame lays on Hamilton, who should never have been in that position. So, uh, you know, you could have had a massive, you know, accident. Thank God he's walked away unscathed. So I hope you're going to deal with it appropriately. Understood, Christian. That's why it's just gone up now that things have calmed down for a second as under investigation by the stewards. Michael, this is Toto. Go ahead, Toto. Uh, Michael, I just sent you an email um, with the diagrams where the car should be. Did you receive that? Uh, Toto, I don't uh, access my emails during a race deliberately because I concentrate on the race. Uh, yeah, then you should maybe look at this because there is something with the rules. I'm coming up. No problem. I suggest if you want to, Toto, go, feel free to go upstairs and see the stewards directly. But what was funny was that Michael was like, Yep, yep, okay, all considered, all considered. He's not the one making the decision anyway. Yeah, so it goes yeah. to the stewards. And, and, and the, actually, the one issue I had with everything that went on was, didn't Toto Wolf go and try and lobby the stewards? Yeah, he, yeah, he went in person. Toto he went, went up person. to the stewards' room. And I think that should not be allowed. I think you've got to let the stewards just analyse it in the cold light of day and come up with whatever conclusion. Well, just as you don't want footballers walking up to the ref and remonstrating with them and you know, intimidating yeah. them or wh whatever it is that they choose to do. I always wonder about that. I think this isn't going to work. But maybe the next decision is influenced by the previous encounter. Maybe that's the thinking behind not it. Not meant to. No, of course it's not meant to, yeah. but I think psychologically yeah. maybe it does. Yeah. I do like the fact that uh, Michael Massey was... Uh, <laughs> Toto said, I've sent you an email. And he said, I, I'm sorry, um, I don't read my emails <laughs> when we're in the middle of a race. <laughs> 
<laughs> He's slightly preoccupied. <laughs> he hasn't got time to do his... He doesn't do Twitter either. I like, I like how calm his voice was throughout, though. Michael Massey's. I suppose you have to be in that role. He's the headmaster, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't be seen to be getting too emotionally involved. No, I mean, emotions were absolutely running high, inevitably. There was a massive shunt. I was so relieved to see Max get out of the car, but you, you could see he wasn't quite right. And uh, to know that he had the all clear sort of late last night was um, was great. And you know that Lewis didn't even know that Max had gone to hospital, not until I told him in the pen. Because, you know, I didn't want to stir the pot, you know, because people say it's so difficult when you, you've you got a driver in front of you, clearly emotional, clearly charged, and you don't want to get in and stir it up. Yeah. But he was quite punchy. Did you hear his interview with me? Uh, no, I, I, I heard it, yeah, because uh, we were watching the, the yeah. monitor and, you, and, I, and I was surprised that no one had told him. No, you know, I'm surprised I was really that no surprised. one at Mercedes had said, listen, Lewis, you know, you should know that Max has been taken to, he went to the medical centre and then he was taken away to a hospital to, to have a closer inspection. Well, I think they were a little concerned about his shoulder. But to that point, Damon, I know that Max was, felt that, that uh, Lewis's celebrations were disrespectful, is I think the word he used, wasn't it? Mm. But he didn't know at that stage that Max had gone to hospital. So he assumed Max had got out of the car and walked away. Certainly yeah. not an ideal way to, to end a race. No. You know, Lewis said again that in the pen, I, I don't want the race to end in a crash. I don't want to win because it's been a crash. I want to win because, you know, I've outraced him. But so, uh, you know, maybe we should forgive Lewis a bit for that. But there's, it was a statement of intent, wasn't it? It was Lewis saying, listen, I'm, I'm a street fighter, you know, and if you're going to get rough with me, yeah. I'm going to have to show you what I've got. And he's done that. And psychologically, yeah. you know, that is, that's made a dent in Max. It has to. You know, it's made him realise that Lewis in a wheel-to-wheel -wheel battle is not going to back down. Flat, not going to back down. And, that, and that's got to go down the, in, the, in the mental notebook. Do you guys believe it'll change the rules of engagement going forward? I'm not convinced it will. I think Max will be as uncompromising yeah, yeah. as he's been... I can't see it changing. At which point, Ma Michael Massey is going to have to step in and say, guys, I know you're fighting for a world title and you'd probably take uh, your crash helmets off and, and have a stand-up fight in the paddock if it came to it, you know. But you can't be allowed to do this with this sport. You know, there are safety issues that we have to consider at these speeds. So he has to somehow instill discipline and he's going to have to issue penalties if two cars collide. And maybe he should give... The stewards, yeah, Damon. Stewards, the stewards. Michael Massey will make a note and put it to the stewards and, and the stewards will um, look at the rule book and go, have they done anything wrong? And and the driver steward will go, in, in my experience, as a driver, that's unacceptable. And that may well be an opinion, a racing opinion that, that is accrued over years and, and, and possibly been special to that individual driver. Because I speak, I've spoken to a few drivers today and I've had totally different reactions. So I, I don't know how, you, there's no right or wrong, it seems, in this one. I would say at some point you have to say two cars collide, they're both responsible to a degree. You know, the objective is to race and not collide. Would you guys have given a 10-second penalty? The history was that in the past, when he, at Austria particularly, there were uh, penalties get dished out for uh, cars touching or running each other off the track. So I think that they've started down that road. They had to issue something. You know, you can't give a 10-second penalty to Max. He's in the... He's out of the race and in the tyres. But maybe the pair of them should have got, I don't know, points penalty or some penalty for the next race or something. I thought Charles Leclerc summed it up quite well in the press conference afterwards. I said to him, you had the best seat in the house. What was your opinion of what happened? And he said, looked like a racing accident to me. He said, Lewis was a little bit wider the apex, but Max was a little bit too harsh 
to the left-hand side as well could have given him more room. So his take from being mm. 10 metres behind, seeing it all happen, was that it was a racing accident and both are at fault. Mm. There you go. And if you're one of the idiots who sent racist messages to Lewis Hamilton on social media, can you just stop listening to the pod right now? You're no friend of ours, you're not part of our gang, and we don't want you as a listener. This was a terrible weekend for Red Bull. No points at all from the whole weekend, and they could have had a 1-2. They would have expected a 1-2. I mean, maybe not expected, but certainly the momentum that they've had from Austria, they certainly expected another race win, didn't they? Yeah, it was on the cards, wasn't it, to, to actually start to inch away again from from Mercedes but that's what happens in this sport you know I can remember I can remember the headlines going into Imola in 94 which were Senna's got to stop the rock now he's got to win this this is make or break race those are critical points in a championship and I think Silverstone was a critical point for Lewis and, and Mercedes the thing is they turned up with some good and good little mods on that car just as we thought that they'd stopped developing they'd had some extra little tweaks that seemed to have given just enough downforce to the car that they meant they could run less wing that made Lewis's car much faster in a straight line not much three kilometers but you know fast enough and that made them much more competitive I think Red Bull was surprised by that it wasn't just Lewis aware that the, you know the, the stakes going into this race all of the engineering team at Mercedes were feeling the same I was chatting to Andrew Shovlin on Sunday night and he said we came here to a track that we've always gone very well at with some modifications that we thought were going to work we'd had Lewis and Valtteri on the sim during the yeah, weekend on the Friday morning during amazing to hone the car and if that didn't work here, we knew that we were going to have to take a long, hard look at ourselves. So, so much at stake, as you guys have just been saying. And ultimately, they won it because of Lewis. Lewis gave them that victory. He adopted the right approach. One of the things that Lewis is brilliant at is playing in the little zone that's between overstepping the mark and not being aggressive enough. He seems to manage to judge that to perfection. I've never seen him do something unsporting in a race particularly I can't I'm racking my brains and I don't you know uh, that is about as close as you're going to get to <laughs> to something that you could say that was a little bit over the top Lewis but it, it wasn't because you know I'm sitting here I'm going he had to do it he had to be aggressive there was always a chance of an accident but it would have been equally Max's fault as his and, and that's where Lewis has been brilliant at judging those things and then he went on through the race with a 10 second penalty to eke into Charles's lead and judged it to perfection. And wow, eight Grand Prix victories. Absolutely spectacular result. Everyone was happy. Sorry, you know, that um, we didn't stop everything for Max, but I'm, I'm sure that nobody there wanted to see Max in hospital or, or, or in any way suffering from the consequences. And I know there aren't loads of overtaking places at Silverstone, but it did amuse me that Lewis made two stunning overtakes during the rest of the race at Cops. Yeah. <laughs> Took the lead of the yeah. race at Cops from Charles Leclerc. Proved that it could be done. Yeah, it was. It was in, and that really undermined Christian Horner's argument was that when it came up to Charles Leclerc, he looked in his mirror and he thought, this guy's either completely crazy. <laughs> he's certainly not going to, he's not going to just let me go. He wants to win this race. And he kind of took the decision, I'd rather not risk it for the sake of shutting my eyes and hoping. And that, that's maybe what Max should have done. Max has got 30, or going to that race, had a 33-point lead in the championship. Maybe he could have let 
Lewis go, maybe he could have got him later in the race. But we'll never know. Can we talk now about Charles Leclerc and Ferrari? Because that was a seriously impressive race from him. I mean, when I spoke to him afterwards, he said he hadn't quite decided whether he was disappointed or elated. Because, you know, to, to be overtaken for the lead, having led for 50 laps, you would be a bit slightly crushed. And yet, what, what a weekend for the team generally. I didn't see that coming, did you? I, I, I did see it coming. After the first session, which I did a commentary for, <laughs> from uh, from for Sky in the, on the Friday morning before the quali, I said, "Can we just say Ferrari are doing quite well?" And thankfully, they actually maintained that through the weekend, and they did look good, and that actually uh, were more more of a competition for for McLaren actually. So that I think the hot temperatures helped them. Um, speaking to them uh, in the paddock, they 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 definitely felt that. Hotter conditions seem to suit their tyres and well, the way they, they use their tyres. But Charles Leclerc also used his brilliance to, to add that special little bit of advantage that uh, they needed. So, yeah, all the way through, good performance from Ferrari, but they're still a little bit up and down, aren't they? We don't know what's going to happen in Hungary. Well, that's what he said as well. He, he feels that if they put a strong performance in in Hungary, then they'll feel like they're turning a corner because they're still niggled and confused by Paul Ricard. They said, we still don't have the answers to Paul Ricard. We still don't understand why we were so bad there. And when you consider it's a similar track at Silverstone and then they were brilliant at Silverstone. Pinks, they had fewer tyre problems than Mercedes at Silverstone. And um, there actually, there was a, a, a lovely moment in the post-race press conference. The wonderful thing is when they come in, there's this period of time before the cameras turn on where they just sat a metre from each other and you either have the awkward silence or they chat. And they were chatting and Lewis turned to Charles and said, man, your tyres were so good in the race. How would you do it? And Charles went, we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's honest. As you say, I'm only backing up what he told you in the pen, but they still don't know and, and they have to go to those long 180 degree corners in Hungary I think front limited yeah, again slower as well yeah. much slower and much less grip in total I mean they're, they're Silverstone really I can just speak from experience now having been in my actually been on the same track as those guys on the same day in an F1 car because I drove my FW18 before the Grand Prix I only it did looked two laps, amazing but that was brilliant yeah Williams uh, Heritage managed to get it running and uh, get it out there for the display of, uh, of older cars there were some other cars out there as well but it was the first time I've been out I think on a track since Bahrain in, nine, in about 10 years ago when they had the 60th celebration so getting back in my old championship winning car for a few laps was a big thrill and my neck is still hurting and I did two laps <laughs> but it fit like a glove right you haven't put on any timber no, no I, I just slotted straight in back into that fabulous car uh, it was built for me it was, it was a bespoke car my one and only well it, it was car. built for you a long time ago though so fair play to you for still fitting in there so I'm, I'm either withering away or I'm not putting in a weight. But uh, anyway, I slotted in OK. It was such a nice feeling, such a great sounding car as well. And all the vibrations and the smells. And I had Bob Davis and Colin on my car as well, who were there uh, in back in the day. So nice to see my number one mechanic and uh, and guys looking after the car. And I, I felt completely safe there because they, they do such a good job. How attached do you get to a car, Damon? I think with that particular car, I'm very attached. I think there's an emotional connection because, you you know, you live those experiences in that tiny little world. So uh, it, it, tremendous. Loved it. Yeah. So I got out there and basically, yeah, the track is, is really grippy. And I was only going about 30 seconds a lap slower than they were. 
So um, I can tell you, for, for so that will help Ferrari get some energy in their tyres, that's for sure. So you, they won't have the same amount of energy into their tyres when they get too hungry. That's a long-winded way of explaining my point. Did you notice after the race, I thought the drivers looked genuinely tired, Exhausted, yeah. They said it was physically very demanding. I mean, it was hot. It was really hot. It was 30 degrees. But imagine that in the car. And yeah, they all were sort of like wilting flowers. <laughs> yeah. Um, should we talk about Lando? Oh, love Lando. That pit stop. I mean, he swears he could have been on the podium were it not for the slow pit stop. I wonder whether that temperature that was affecting the drivers so much maybe, maybe affected some of the kit because there were quite a few slow pit stops. Do you think there's anything in that, Damon? I do, because, I mean, well, Martin pointed it out, I think, in the in the commentary, but uh, they're left out in the sun. You see, so they leave the, the tools out there and they were getting cooked. This was, the track itself was 50 degrees and it was, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And so those things would have been really hot to touch. So, yes, uh, I think they'll be looking that in the future. They'll be looking to keep their uh, wheel guns some, probably protected from the sun because it seemed like there was a couple of teams that had problems, weren't there? It wasn't just them. There was Alonso, there was Sainz, there was Norris. Yeah, and uh, it just seemed too much of a coincidence. But I, I mean, it was at one point you thought Lando's going to win this. There yeah. was there was a point where you know with with a ten second penalty for for Lewis, and you just thought Charles wasn't getting that far away. And you know, we never know. Although McLaren weren't as competitive as they were in Austria, were they? They were quite a way off in qualifying. And um, as mega as Lando was. Uh, and how wonderful it was to see him going so well. The thing I was most excited about with McLaren was, I think we can call it the return of Daniel Ricciardo. He was less than a tenth away from Norris in qualifying. A little bit off in the race, but, uh, you know, the race is a, such a compromise between strategy and tyres and everything. But to see him so close over one one lap, I think, was a huge fillet for him. And he was even annoyed he was after annoyed, qualifying because yes. he, he didn't get a toe. Yeah, he wanted and was expecting a toe. And, you know, he felt that fourth was possible. Yeah, ahead of Lando. But I, I think it was a huge moment in the, you know, we talk about the championship moment. I wouldn't say huge. I would say it's a small, definitely a step in the right direction. But, you know, Lando still had the edge on him, didn't he? So, you know, who won't be happy with that? But by a tiny margin. It was a tiny yeah, margin. Then we margin. go to Hungary. With... I'm with Damon because well, yeah. I got quite excited. You know, come on, Daniel, press the reset button. This is it. Your, your season can start in earnest now. And he said, you know what? If I go well at Hungary, I'll feel like I've turned the corner. He said, it's too soon to say I'm at one with this car yet, but it's getting there. And he kept Carlos Sainz yes. behind him for lap after lap. Sainz in a faster car. So he's lost none of the, the race craft. It's purely a, a setup thing. And yeah, so I was really excited about that when it comes to McLaren. Lander was, I mean, was he on full form, do you think? I mean, he looked, you know, had a pretty nasty experience going into this race. And, and you know, I think it was slightly destabilised by that. Uh, do you know, Damon, you are spot on. He just didn't seem himself. I mean... What he went through was horrific. I think it would unsettle anyone and really play on your mind for a long time. But getting into the car, that was almost his therapy. You know, he just wanted to get back in the car and, and do what comes most naturally to him. I think if anything, it was good that he went racing because he was able to compartmentalise and for those 52 laps, think of nothing but racing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's your that's your home. It's your best therapy, isn't it? And and crazy to see, I've, I've written a note here. Lando Norris 
15 consecutive points finishes. New record for a McLaren driver. And he's about 12. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? The, the longest number of consecutive points yeah. finishes for a McLaren driver. I'm staggered. Yeah. 15 on the bounce. And he's, and he's, what is he? He's only in his third season. That's remarkable. Extraordinary. Right. I mean, I know reliability is much better now than it was back in yeah. the day. But yeah. It's a good sign, isn't it? I mean, we've had plenty of racing drivers who've been, you know, very fast, but then slowly and sort of sometimes drop the ball. But he's, he seems to be reliable as well, doesn't he? In fact, dependable. One guy who didn't drop the ball, Fernando Alonso. Oh, how good was his start to the sprint? Oh, my God. It was just brilliant to watch, wasn't it? He enjoyed that. He was brilliant. He was a star, as he always is. I, th I mean, he's just incredible. Strolls made some pretty good starts, but he didn't seem to make such a great one this time. But uh, Fernando Alonso, down the inside, round the outside, six places he made up on the first lap. Amazing. I thought Stroll had a good weekend. He was pretty miserable at the start of the weekend, wasn't he? Just all over the shop, no confidence in the car at all in FP1. And he brings it up and puts it in the points. And his teammate spins out and retires from the race. Yeah, that was odd, wasn't it? It was really yeah. odd. And he didn't even know why. I said, why did you retire? I don't, I don't know. Mm. Who Seb says that. Seb didn't know why he retired, at least when I was in the pen. Did he say he didn't know why he spun or he didn't know why? No, he, he knew. Well, he knew why he spun. Yeah, I think that was just human error, wasn't it? I mean... I, I can never say things like this, though, because I've never raced a car in my life. So you can say this, David. I, I think he was free. I've, I've seen him do it before. He sort of gets freaked out by someone. Go, by Alonso. By Alonso of go, all yeah. people. And yeah. someone who kind of puts a squeeze on him. And he, it's like it suddenly puts on a bit, a bit too much lock um, to avoid contact. And then it, 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 he spins out. We saw some odd spins, though. I mean, like. Checo Perez in the sprint, whatever we're calling yeah. it. That was, you know, coming out of Beckett's. That was an odd one. Sebastian Vettel's spin at Luffield. That was an odd one. Help me out here, guys. There were uh, others, what happened there? with, um, with well, Raikkonen, but that he, did have, he did have contact with Checo, didn't he? Yeah, but just... Because he'd had a great race till that point. He was in, in the points. Here's an odd thing. The sprint, whatever we're calling it, that... Did you notice that it was all the old guys that went really well in that race? Fernando Wait. Alonso, amazing. What he was went from eleventh to fifth at one point. Kimi Raikkonen. Well, they were on the softs, whole... weren't they? They were on the softs. Fine, but maybe that is. What are we saying? Experience said, let's go with the softs. I don't know, yeah. but it was. I think the softs lasted longer than they expected. I think you know they were really competitive for ten laps, and then they were able to just hang on for the final seven. But these were the, these are actually they call, you call them softs, but actually they're the, in the hardest tires in the range. So the, the hard tire was the hardest tire they make, and the the medium was the second, and the and the soft yeah, was actually. Point. Um, the third hardest tyre that Pirelli makes. So, and that may explain why uh, some of them lost it when it was unexpected. Because I don't, I thought it was pretty hard. It seems like it was pretty hard to get the tyre into the working range. That's why they could push. And that's why they were so exhausted at the end of the race, because actually they had a tyre, the hard tyre was a tyre they could lean on and really work, even in 50 degree track temperature. So, yeah, I mean, if you've got a soft squidgy tyre, you can't lean on it so much. So you have to kind of trindly around and, and look after the tyre. But the last time I saw Sebastian Vettel, he was picking up litter. Yes, he stayed yes. for hours apparently afterwards to pick up litter. He's been filling up bags of plastic containers and, and trash that people have left behind, which is jolly decent of him. But um, there's a lot of more work to do. He could be there all week. I hope someone's going to relieve him. <laughs> but it's all part of the effort, isn't it? So so Sebastian, obviously a big environmental friend, and uh, we're, we're going to be seeing more of this, I think, through the 
Yeah, and he's he's really pushing that side as well, isn't he? That's uh, brilliant. This year and everything, Absolutely. feeding the bees. Do you remember in Austria? Yeah. He came, I put some bee seeds in the garden and things like that. But one of the other things I loved about the sprint, whatever we call it, is the fact that everyone was pushing. There was no strategy. It was just flat out. And I really loved that about that race. Which is what you're going to get. And that's exactly why I love the new format. I mean, I'd love to see this rolled out time after time. We had entertainment every single day. Real entertainment. It was brilliant. It was thrilling to watch. Okay, let's we go through it day by day, Pink? So Friday, result. One practice session straight yeah. into quali. Max was uh, regretting a, a setup decision he'd made after that first practice session and he was carrying it for the rest of the weekend because he had too much downforce on the car. So Friday, is that a massive tick from, from the nation? Yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, Friday used to be like that on uh, previous, going back years when they had two qualifying sessions. So Friday and Saturday were the same. You had a warm-up and then you had a qualifying, but the warm-up went on for, or the, the practice session went on for an hour and a half or maybe more, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so short and punchy, get, get on with the show. Friday, we got a qualifying. Yeah, very exciting. Right. So then, and then Saturday, what was it? It was one hour of practice, but you can't really change the car. No. So, well, what's that all about? Yeah. But obviously, you loved FP2, right? You listened intently to FP2. Of course, Pinks. Highlight. Highlight for me. Got I was a, a bit gutted when I, when I knew I was commentating on it. I was a bit gutted when everyone was like, well, this is a completely useless session. No one <laughs> watching this. I was like, oh. Um, but I, I was going to say, sadly, I have to agree. I think that the, F, the F2, FP2 was, was a bit of a kind of non-event. A uh, bit of a redundant session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't read yeah, anything into no, the times, could you? Exactly. Yeah. I mean... No. It, Hey, so what did you talk about for a whole hour, Pink? I'm entirely sure I remember. (laughs) (laughs) One point that I made in the session, and I really want to know your views on this, is these visor strips. Yeah. And it got caught up in Bottas's car, didn't it? In a sport as precise as ours, Mm. why are you allowed to just rip off a visor strip and lob it wherever you want? Mm. There's got to be a better system. Yeah, I know. I mean, it'd be like, it's like chucking rubbish out of the car window, isn't it? Exactly. Um, Sebastian Vettel's still out there picking up the visor strips. Yeah. They should have a little bin liner inside the car in the cockpit. They can just tuck it away. They're quite occup- it's quite difficult in those cars to actually put, you know, see what you're doing when you're actually strapped in. But um, yeah, maybe the biodegradable visor strips, strip offs. Yeah. Definitely should be biodegradable. But also, why do you need them? I mean, I know why you need them because you get flies and stuff on you them. Keep, well, that's part so of the all game. The rubbish goes on. And if it's too bad, you've got all to right. pit and okay, get a mechanic. All little windscreen wipers. Of course, we've talked about that on the show, Damon. Do you remember that advert? Someone didn't someone ask a question about it in Ask Damon, and you, you were advertising some windscreen wiper <laughs> visor. Isn't no, right? I did. I did look it up. Someone said to me, "Did you ever have a visor with a windscreen wiper on it?" And it actually is out there on. YouTube or something, but it was a spoof. It wasn't meant to be taken seriously. But the visor strip, when you have got your visor absolutely covered in oil, like I was in Melbourne in in '96 with uh, following Lewis, uh, following Lewis, following uh, Jacques Villeneuve, uh, puking orange oil out the back of his car the whole race, I, I couldn't see. So you need to be able to. You can't wipe it because it's oil. So you need to tear off the tear off, and get rid of that somewhere so you can see where you're going. I'm sure you'd agree that that's a good thing, be able to see where you're going, Tom, 
in a- no, I would agree with that. I just think make him pit, lose some time or something. I don't know. No, oh, I think okay, you're right. Getting- Let's do biodegradable, biodegradable, and then I think yeah. a little, a little plastic, something sack. No, not plastic. We don't like plastic. Uh, something in your in your cockpit to put it in. What about what Sterling Moss used to do? And always keep a little rag tucked between your legs. You could get it out and give it a good old clean and carry on as if nothing had happened. Um, but what, getting back to the Saturday, here's a thought. Right? How, why, yeah. why, why don't they have the Friday qualifying for the sprint and then the next day they have a quali for the race? So you have a quali. No, no, that's no good because then you've got the, what's the sprint for? Well, the sprint could just, you could just give more points out for the sprint. Just give more points. Yeah. Nailed it. I think Pinks has nailed it. I think you just have Friday leave alone. Great success. Saturday, like hearing Pinks on comms, otherwise no need for FP2. (laughs) And then have just a sprint race. Just dish out some more points down to sixth place or something. And and, and then have quali as well. No, no. And and then that, I like then that setting the, the finishing positions for that could set the grid for Sunday. And, and, and isn't that what's great about our sport is that we are always pushing new ideas. I love the fact that Formula One never sits still and always wants to try new things, isn't scared of change, constantly evolving and improving. I think there were a lot of nervous people going into the weekend. You know, imagine, OK, Lewis lost one place in sprint, whatever we call it. But imagine if he'd had a problem and had to start from the back or something. Great. I think there were a lot of nervous people. <laughs> people are very nervous about that happening, isn't it? I mean, it was, it was, it was bad for, say, a team like Alpha Tauri because yeah. they were on the back foot in terms of understanding their car and they never then got on top of it because they didn't have enough practice sessions to do it. And then, they, you know, part firm made conditions come in before quali and then that's it. So I think if you'd hit the ground running, it was great. If you didn't, it was tricky. You were always trying to play catch up. Bring it on, Pink. Yeah, that's competition, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that in any in any competition, with with if you increase the level of difficulty, the guys who are really good always still rise to the top. Yeah, you know, it's that's the point. You you could throw anything you like at them, and they'll cope because they, that's why they're the best. And that's um, that's all you're trying to find out is who's the best given a set of uh, a number of challenges, and um, there's still plenty more challenges to come. We loved the new format. I think that's fair, isn't it? We all thought it was a, a great effort and a huge success. Yeah, absolutely. And the reaction from the fans was was magnificent. Both in the grandstands and people at home, I think, were genuinely, you know, enthralled because they had entertainment all three days. You know, you got more bang for your buck. And I also, Natalie caught me crawling about underneath the 2022 car as well with my, with my um, iPhone taking pictures. Didn't you, Natalie? I did. I did. You were showing me round. Well, you were, you were saying, so what about this? And I was trying to get underneath the skin of it and uh, having a look because this is, I'm just thinking closer racing. That's what they're after. That's what we're after. That's what we've been yeah. talking about here. We, we're sprint racing, you know, Lewis Hamilton, getting closer to cars in a corner. That's what the objective of the 22 car was. We saw one in the flesh, a real size one in the paddock. What do we you did. think, Tom? What do you like about it? I think the car looked good. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked the look. Of, I mean, there's one tweak I'd, I, I would make to it in that you can't see the brake discs unless I've got this wrong. And one of my favourite shots mm. of a, a current Formula One car we is l- when you're, I don't know, Monza and you're hard on the brakes and you see the orange glow from the brake discs. And I don't think you're going to be able to see that with the the way these new wheels are on the 18 inch, the new 18 inch wheels. So I'll miss that. If it leads to close racing, then... Um, I'll forgive them that. 
It'll be like when you get your first car, though, Tom, won't it? They'll just take the hubcaps off, won't they? So you make it look a bit more racy. <laughs> God, I tell you what, though, just talking about the 2022 car, there was so much going on at Silverstone, wasn't there? The 22 car, the new format, 350,000 people over the weekend, crashes. Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, uh, Michael Douglas. I, I love that bit where you got Tom Cruise and Harrison Ford talking whatever yeah whatever had happened just now you know did you hear that um lewis and tom cruise are mates and lewis had asked tom cruise if he could be in the new top gun movie that's coming out in november and tom cruise thought about it seriously but then he thought no lewis you're you're a racing driver go and win the world championship there's plenty of time for you to be an actor but how cool would that oh. be lewis hamilton in top gun maverick Doing some flying scenes with Tom Cruise. Amazing. That would have been so good. So it's definitely not happening. Definitely not happening. Uh, but it was but it was discussed. Wasn't he in cars though? He was in a Disney film as a cartoon <laughs> or something, wasn't he? Yes. As a not voice? quite what the same. He? No, not quite not quite <laughs> the same, is it? No. No, you want to be uh, my dad was in a film the worst film ever made, which was called Caravan to Vacaras, and he was the helicopter pilot. So if you ever watch this awful film, which is a uh, Alastair McLean uh, thriller, well it wasn't a thriller, that was the problem. Um, there's a fight in a helicopter at the end, and you suddenly look across at the helicopter and you go, oh, that's Graham Hill, what's he doing in the helicopter? And it's like uh, completely distracts and from the from the story. It's uh, yeah. But um Oh gosh. I'm gonna have to go and Google that. I need to go and look at that. But it's, it's great. It was a great event. I mean, you were talking about all the things that had happened at the Grand Prix. What else? There was a Red Arrows. There was uh, some Spitfires, as Spitfires. usual. Spitfires. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, We got uh, to pick up the trophy. We got to pick up the trophy, yeah. Natalie presented oh, the trophy guys, to Guys, tell me. Hmm? How was the trophy? Because the, the Murray Walker... What? Tell me about... Isn't there some picture of Murray Walker on them? No, yeah. But that's, that's the one they give to the racing drivers. So there's, there's the British Grand Prix trophy, which is kept by the RAC in Pall Mall under close guard if anyone's listening and think they want to have a go at it they um they can't it and it's got all the names going back to 90 so that's the precious actual and it's trophy. heavy it's, really heavy it's gold it looks beautiful and it's a it's actually a beautiful piece i don't know if it's actually gold what is it made of natalie it wasn't tin, i think was it, it was gold wasn't it yeah i think it could be i mean look yeah it looked very shiny and very ornate and and it's historic <laughs> and it goes back to 1950 the very first grand prix and it's got my name on it and johnny herbert's and as we were saying, it's got Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton and a few other people. Right. So what's the Murray Walker thing then? The Murray Walker thing was on the trophy they actually presented. And it's got a quote. It's got a little picture of Murray and a quote. I think it's different on every trophy. And I think uh, one of the one on the winners was something like, if it can happen, it probably will. Or something like that. If, it, you know, if there's anything can happen, it probably will. Or one of his famous lines, like, I've got to stop because I've got a lump in my throat. Oh, that's a really nice yeah. touch. So, yeah, a tribute to Murray. Because, of course, this is the first race we've... We've gone without him being able to enjoy it. I mean, he he used to watch everything, even though he stopped uh, commentating. But uh, his his name will live on. His name will echo through time, and his sound of his voice will echo through time. And some of the great the great moments that we've had looking back, you know, just wouldn't be the same without his absolutely fantastic, uh, excitable commentary. So you know how Nat did her Heidi High impression at the start. Damon, can you give us your best Murray? And, and, here we go. It, it's go, go. No, that's David Crossland. He go. Yeah, no, he says go, go, go. He's on fire. He's on fire. Murray, that's his red, red light. That's his, uh, <laughs> the red light on the car in front. <laughs> Something like that. 
Yeah, he was he was brilliant. He had all the lines, but um, much loved. Now it's that time again. It's our Damon. And our first question is from Marshall. Not a Marshall. His name is Marshall. I mean, he could be a Marshall. He might be the Marshall's Marshall. He might be wearing a badge. Talking of Marshall's pinks, did you see that um, Lewis Hamilton gave a Mercedes hat to every single Marshall at Silverstone over the weekend? That's amazing. And just before the race, uh, I went to go to the loo and George Russell was in there and uh, he came out. Hang on, he was in the ladies? It was like oh, a unisex no. loo. And when he came out of the loo, he took his cap off and gave it to the loo attendant, put it on her head. And she was, I mean, she just burst into tears. It's like, oh. lovely moment. But she wasn't a fan. Well, she no. said, did you wash your hands? Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> G'day, Damon. I'm actually really new to F1, having just watched Netflix's Drive to Survive earlier in the year. And I think I'm a little bit obsessed with the sport now. So I wanted to know if I was going to go back and watch one F1 season from the past, from the beginning all the way to the final race, which one do you think I should watch? Oh, that's a hell of a question. What are you going to say? Marshall. 1996. This is going to... No, no. This is, this is, this is a... Well, do you know, 1994 wasn't a bad one. Um, that was, I mean, full of drama, uh, full of tragedy as well, but full of excitement right through to the end. And, and I think, you know, you, you need to keep the drama going in a championship down to the wire. And what about the one where... Nigel Mansell, they had a wet race, didn't they, in Adelaide? And I think it was Nicky Lauda won it by half a point. What was that one? 1984. That was 1984. And then there was the one where Nigel's tyre blew up. Uh, that was another 1986. 1986. That, that's another Murray line you can do, Damon. Yeah. Colossally, yeah. it's Mansell. And colossally, it's Mansell. <laughs> 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 yeah, that that's was right. 1986. Oh, that's very good. They were pretty exciting, I think, you know, those mid... And also the Senna Prost ones were pretty intense all the way through the wire. But, um, all right, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Come and help me here. Well, help me out. I, I think you're right on Senna and Prost because yeah. I think the intensity of that battle was extraordinary. There's one more, Marshall, that I'd point you towards. And you can watch a film about it, uh, 1976. Yeah with Nicky Lauder and James Hunt. And there's the film Rush, uh, all about their rivalry in that season. I'd go for that as well. It was different back then as well, wasn't it? I mean, I know, did you live like James Hunt, Damon? I certainly did not live like James Hunt. My wife would have something to say about that. I think, um, <laughs> no, James James was a wild child, I think is probably the safest way of putting it. He, 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 he went for life, um, you know, in, in the most fulsome way and uh, became a much-loved hero of all of us, really. I think he was a character. He was, you know... I mean, he kept budgerigars. What was that all about? Let you know if you have a gas leak. <laughs> <laughs> we did, he didn't just keep them. He entered competitions. He was intensely competitive about breeding budgerigars. Now, that's a whole nother level, wow. isn't it? Pinkle, what about you? What's your favourite season? No, I think I have to agree with you, but I think I fell in love with it all the more because of watching the film Rush. Massive Nicky Lauder fan, though. Like, if, I've always felt that, but obviously had the the honour and pleasure of getting to know him you know, long after his racing days. But I, you know, what a character! Um, what a, a brave, incredible 
tenacious man and no BS. I just loved that about him. He would get straight to the point and actually used to drive Mercedes mad because I would always went through a season of always presenting FP3 and it was brilliant because I would always stand in the same place behind the Mercedes garage because I knew that Nicky would always walk out at a certain point just when I needed some reaction on air and he would always just tell me the truth and drive Mercedes mad. He'd go, you know, it was his decision. He'd always come straight over and be our guest on the show. Do you remember that, Damon? Do you remember we always used to chat, you, me and Nikki always used to chat. And, you know, Mercedes would be sort of quite secretive about whatever they were doing. <laughs> Nikki would just come out and tell us. Yeah. Tell us the he truth. Said, yeah, he just, I remember when uh, Nico went straight on at uh, Monaco in qualifying and we <laughs> we were hanging outside Bernie's bus and you know he used to sit with Bernie the whole time he and Bernie used to sit there and have to sip a glass of wine and then they came out straight away it happened and they sort of stood there and went well uh, what do you think then Nicky said oh it's absolutely accident uh, completely and Bernie goes now he did it on purpose he did it straight away it was like <laughs> completely just they were honestly just winding it up as much as they could they were brilliant but I, I read Nikki's Nikki's famous quote. I mean, we can't. I don't know if we can say it on a podcast. Where he, so apologies if there's any children listening. But he um, he won the Los Angeles Grand Prix, Long Beach Grand Prix, and the guy goes up to me all excited because they've just had a Grand Prix and Nikki Lauda's won it. He says, "So uh, yeah, what do you think of the track?" He says, "The track is shit." <laughs> that was basically <laughs> it. <laughs> he could only play it with a straight back, couldn't he, old Nikki? Loved him. But can you imagine what his debriefs would have been like when he was at Ferrari? Back in the day when Enzo Ferrari was still around, and I think a lot of people kept trying to tell Enzo that everything was great, yeah. everything was sweet. You can imagine Nicky just going straight and, and saying, oh, it is shit. I can hear him saying Well, it. he did actually say that. He said it to Enzo. And, and this is the problem. No one would dare say to Enzo what the real problem was. So he, drive, he signs for, for, for Ferrari. He goes and has a test in it. And Enzo obviously gets wind of the fact that Nicky doesn't think it's very good. And so goes over and says, eh, how is it going? I don't know, I can't do an Enzo impersonation. It's Italiano. He says, ah, tell me, Nicky. He says, oh, 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 how is it going? And he says, um, the guy is shit. And uh, so Enzo apparently goes, thinks for a bit and goes, mm, yeah, how shit? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. And yeah. from then on, they got on brilliantly, apparently. Oh, Finally, okay. someone had actually had the nerve to say something to him. So, can we have our next question for Damon, please? Hi, Damon. My name is Michael from Switzerland, and I would like to know if you would be able to choose any race number nowadays, which one would it be? Thank you. Hi, Michael, in Switzerland. Well, uh, I'll tell you what number I wouldn't have again, which was zero, which was the number I had when I started uh, for Williams, because I, I thought that was, you know, a, no a nothing number, literally. <laughs> so... <laughs> The only other number I liked was, um, okay, one is a good number to have. And if it wasn't for the fact that I'd got sacked from Williams and I had to have it on an arrows, uh, it would have been an even better number to have. And it's a good number to keep. But Lewis obviously doesn't like to have number one. He thinks that it's better to keep your own number. I always like number 32. And maybe it's because um, there was a racing bike racer I used to like called Steve Baker. And uh, he raced with number 32. And we also lived at 32 Parkside in, in London, where I, where I was born, virtually, or grew up. So 32 is a good number. There must be a story about how you ended up with zero. Well, there, there is a story about how... Tom, you know the story. You know why. I don't. Because basically, I was in the team that had won the championship and Nigel had left to go to IndyCar. So the world champion didn't exist 
in Formula One. He wasn't racing that year. So they couldn't give one to me and they couldn't give one to Alan Prost because he wasn't world champion and they couldn't give it to me because I wasn't world champion. So we had to share zero and two. So we left a gap where there was a one. So there was no one in the 1993 world championship, but there was a zero. But you couldn't have been any other number than zero. I get that you couldn't have been one, but what about 32? Why couldn't you have been 32? Because back in those days, they had to have consecutive numbers. So the construct the numbers related to your place in the Constructors' Championship the previous year. And so Williams the, were the Constructors' Championship, so they got one and two. They couldn't have 10 and 11. They couldn't have personalised number plates like they have today. I think a dash. You should have just had a dash where the number was. You'd actually take away my, my zero <laughs> and just give me a dash. <laughs> You deny me even a zero, Tom. For heaven's sake. You know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm a minus. That would just be a what, minus. What? That's yeah, actually would, not yeah. even a positive. Can I have a plus instead? <laughs> what about you guys? What number would you choose if you were doing a race, a Formula One race or any other race? What number would you like? I once got 666 in a bicycle race. There you go. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I think they thought my name was Damien. <laughs> I actually love the number 13 because my mum's life was saved on Friday the 13th. She had cancer and, and it was very aggressive and she was very young. I was only just born. So she was 28 and I was a newborn baby. And they discovered that she had, you know, this horrible form of cancer that was sort of ravaging her, but she didn't know at very short notice. And he said, I need to operate straight away. On Friday, and she said, I can't do that on Friday. It's Friday the 13th. He said, well, good. No one else wanted the day, so the whole day is free. I can spend more time on you. And she laughed, and sure enough, saved her life. Oh, well, Mummy Pinks, that's a great story. S sums up the pinkums, doesn't it? Always turning a, a negative into a positive. Oh. We normally do any other business at this point, but I think we've done all the business. There's been a lot of business. Yeah, there has, hasn't there? What a weekend. I'm going to say it again. What a weekend. It was just extraordinary. I know. I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing. Yeah. I, I, I haven't come down from it yet. It was just incredible. Let's use the any other business section to ask people to send in more questions to ask Damon to the following email address. Make it a voice note. So you send it to askdamonhill at gmail.com. This has been... <laughs> F1 Nation, a podcast produced by Formula One in association with Audio Boom. Well, you nailed the ending there, Pink. Did I? Uh, Did I get it right? Well, we were all waiting to chip in, but I don't think we need to. So you're too good. That wasn't good teamwork on my part. This is F1 Nation. In association with Formula One. No, produced, <laughs> <in association. laughs> produced by Formula One. <laughs>